Thank you for being here on Time Change Sunday to talk about church doctrine. There's a formula for falling asleep, isn't it? Feel free to yawn. We're going to be talking about doctrine this morning. Feel free to take a nap if you need to. We're going to be talking about doctrine. I am going to try to keep everything simple, though. I know when you mention the word doctrine or theology or dogma, it's easy to think, oh, this is going to be deep and I'm going to need to sleep. I get it. Uh, Almost everybody who's ever written about or talked about theology has done it in a way that's quite verbose. So Paul Tillich, it took three thick volumes of books for him to share doctrine. For Calvin, it was four volumes. We're going to come back to Calvin and talk to him, talk about him a little later. Uh, For Barth, the one we Baptists base a lot of our life on, 14 volumes to explain what he believed, doctrine and dogma and beliefs. But this morning, I'm I'm really going to try to keep it simple. I, I promise that I will. And I'd like to start out by just sharing with you the complete history of religion. <laughs> not, not the long one. This is going to be the Jim Dant version, and you know it's not going to be long if it's my version. Uh, a long, long time ago, someone had a spiritual experience. They, they perceived that they had encountered the presence or the power of God. And as they began to move around, they found that there were other people who had had a similar spiritual experience and had perceived the presence and the power of God. And so these people began to gather together and discuss and to celebrate their perceived experiences of the presence and the power of God. And then, this is always where the problems start, and then they decided to write down their similar experiences, that's doctrine, and then They demanded that everybody else have the exact same experience of the presence and the power of God that they had had. And that's where the problems get started. Doctrine, stated belief, stated dogma. It's really a good thing. I mean, our doctrines and our beliefs help us to describe our experiences and our thoughts. They help us to convey our thoughts and experiences to other people. They help us to invite other people to come with us on the journey when their experiences and thoughts are similar. They even help us to imagine the magnitude of God when we meet people whose experiences and thoughts are completely different from ours. So I'm not knocking doctrine and belief and dogma, but there is a dark side. There is a dark side to deciding what you believe and writing it down and saying, this is it. Part of the dark side of doctrine is it can completely eliminate conversation. So there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, who came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, that you've come from God. Nobody can do the signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Nicodemus came to talk to Jesus. He had every reason in the world to avoid talking to Jesus. They had two completely different doctrinal bases. They had two completely different sets of dogma and belief. They had two completely different ways of looking at God and looking at the world. But amid all of these differences, Nicodemus shows up. And I want you to listen. The very first words out of his mouth are, you know, we know you're a good teacher. And we know you came from God. But you and I disagree on a lot of things, and I want to sit down and have a chat with you. Well, when was the last time that happened? 
I'm glad Nicodemus did not let doctrinal differences or differences in belief keep him from having the conversation. And in fact, I am convinced that we desperately need to learn how to talk to each other again, to have conversations. I've been working on a sermon or an essay or a book, it's probably just going to be a sermon, about words that have been hijacked during my lifetime. Uh, Baptist is one of them. People who claim to be Baptists today hardly know what the autonomy of the church and the sole competency of the believer and the separation of church and state is. That word's been hijacked. Evangelical is another word that's been hijacked. Evangelical means one who shares the good news in the world, and it's been hijacked into some sort of political definition. But one of the words that's been hijacked that really bothers me is the word compromise. As if compromise is a bad thing. I hear people say it all the time, well, I'm not going to compromise. Compromise is a sign of weakness. Let me tell you something, community is built on compromise. Marriages are built on compromise. Government and church has been built on compromise. Even God compromises, really. God said, I created you naked. You don't like being naked. Okay, we'll do clothes, right? As a compromise in Genesis chapter 3. 1 Samuel, you want a king? You really don't need a king but I'll appoint a king over you. Compromise. I've given you the law. You don't like the law. Okay, we'll operate with grace. That's all God compromising with God's creation. We cannot let our doctrines, religious or otherwise, keep us from conversing with each other. I mean, I know you feel it, and if you don't feel it, I'm just going to tell you that I I feel it. Our present system, at least in our nation, of sitting in two different corners and screaming at each other about how much we hate each other and how much you're wrong and I'm right and I'll never give an inch and I'm never going to look for middle ground, that whole mindset disregards the fact that there is wisdom on both sides. And if people brought together that collective wisdom, there are all kinds of problems we could solve if we had the conversation, a real conversation. So I had lunch last uh, week with a citizen of Greer. They had some questions about our church, and so we went to lunch together. They said, how many members do you all have? I said, I don't know, about 2,200. How many of them actually attend? I said, well, I don't know, five or 600 on Time Change Sunday, 1,000 on Easter, I don't know. (laughs) And they said, they said, and I love this, they said, boy, that's a lot of liberal people in one place. (laughs) Yeah, and I started laughing too. I did, I started laughing. I said, you don't know us very well, do you? I said, oh, we are a wonderful mix of people from the hard, hard right to the hard, hard left and everybody in between. We're 100% inclusive. We'll take anybody that comes through the door who wishes to sit down and worship God and follow Christ and do God's work in the world. We aren't in the same church because we agree on everything. We're in the same church because we believe that God is bigger than any one of our ideas. And then I told them, we simply refuse to stop talking to each other or working with each other or loving each other just because we disagree with each other. I lived in Bibb County, Georgia for 17 years. During one of those years, our county commissioners were meeting and having a heated debate A motion had been brought to impose a particular religious point of view or doctrine on the general population. (laughs) It happens everywhere. 
one of the county commissioners stood up and he made this argument, and I quote, We have a church on every corner in Macon, and that proves we are united in allegiance to the Christian standards in this community. I'm going to read that again. (laughs) We have a church on every corner in Macon, and that proves we are united in allegiance to the Christian standards in this community. And I thought to myself, we have a church on every corner in Macon because we aren't united in anything. I mean, isn't that right? We have a church on every corner because we disagree about everything. And I get mad at you and you get mad at me and so we leave the church and we build another one on another corner. All these churches are not a symbol of agreement about anything. It's our symbol of how different we are. But you know what? I've learned a lot from people who aren't like me. Yeah. I've learned a lot from people whose politics are different when we have a conversation. I've learned a lot from people whose God looks different. I've learned a lot from people whose context and experience of life is different from mine. These conversations have enriched and expanded my life. The dark side of doctrine is you hold it too tightly and it eliminates conversation. And I'm so glad that did not happen for Nicodemus. I've also observed that the dark side of doctrine is that it also encourages exclusion and even damnation at its worst. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then the verse that we didn't read, verse 18, those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already. And we love that verse. We don't put it in the lectionary reading, but we love it to hold it privately to ourselves so we can condemn everybody who doesn't believe the way we believe and in whom we believe. We are studying the Gospel of John at our midweek services, and this Wednesday night we're going to discuss this idea of condemnation in the Gospel of John. So now if you come on Wednesday nights, you can catch up on your hour of sleep on Wednesday night, and you don't have to listen while I'm talking Wednesday night. I'm going to simplify it for you today. The opposite of following Jesus in the Gospel of John is following the law. It's not damnation. It's not perishing into the eternal flames of hell. The opposite of following Jesus in John, because John is juxtaposing the Judaism of the first century with this new movement of Christianity, the opposite of following Jesus is following the law. And what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is those who choose the law rather than believing in me are going to live a life of condemnation. You live according to the law, you live in a constant state of guilt. There's no way you can keep the law perfectly. The law can't save you. The law can't relieve you. The law constantly condemns you. Even Paul said, thank God there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ when you choose Jesus. This text isn't talking about the kind of eternal condemnation we want to put on people. Jesus isn't condemning Nicodemus to hell. He's telling Nicodemus that living a life according to the law is a hard way to live. Oh yeah, I told you we were coming back to Calvin, didn't I? Calvin gets a lot of credit for being one of the great reformers and one of the great theologians during the Reformation period, but we need to hear the whole story. No offense to all my Calvin friends. John Calvin left the Roman Catholic Church. He ended up settling in Geneva with his own brand of doctrine and theology, and he infused his religious beliefs into the city council of Geneva. 
And those who disagreed with Calvin's thoughts, Calvin gave the nod, and they were burned at the stake. Doctrine has this dark side of damning and excluding those who don't think just like we do, even when it's good doctrine. Most of you know that I'm a universalist. I believe that God has redeemed all of creation, that all people are eventually going to bow the knee and acknowledge God, and everyone is going to be in heaven. I was invited to a panel several years ago at a very conservative seminary that had several of us who kind of adhered to universalist theology. They wanted us on the panel to defend this particular uh, biblical approach and biblical belief, and so several of us did. And afterwards, we had a Q&A, and a couple of questions got asked, and about the third person to speak, rather than asking a question, just said, you know you're going to hell. And I said, well, let me, let me get this straight. I believe in Jesus Christ. I've confessed my belief in Jesus Christ. I've been baptized in the church of Jesus Christ. I've been a minister for three decades. I've given my life to the study of Scripture. I've committed my life to the service and love of God and God's church. I'm going to hell just for believing that God's grace is broad enough and that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is powerful enough to redeem all of humanity, but you get to go to heaven for being exclusive and judgmental? said, so can't we both just go to heaven and let God settle this when we get there? He said, no, you're going to hell. So I looked at the person sitting to the left of me on the panel, and I said, I call bottom bunk in the basement in hell. And he said, why? I said, because heat rises. I want the coolest spot down there. I'm looking for the, the coolest spot. doctrine. It can lead to exclusion. It can lead to thoughts of damnation. It can lead to the cessation of conversations. A long, long time ago, someone had an experience, a spiritual experience. They perceived it to be the presence and the power of Almighty God in their life. They began moving around the world, and they found other people who had had a very similar experience of the presence and the power of God, and they gathered together to discuss and to celebrate the presence of God in their life. But then, and this is always when the problems start, they decided to write it down and demand that everyone else's faith look exactly like theirs, and the conversations were eliminated. And exclusion was encouraged. I am glad I am a member of this church. Let's pray together. Loving God, for the openness of Nicodemus to walk into a room with your son, to greet him as a good teacher and one who came from God, even though their thoughts were so far apart, we are grateful for the welcome that Jesus gave to Nicodemus and to every other person who crossed his path. We are grateful. God, we have gathered here today with a hundred different backgrounds and a hundred different bends and a hundred different thoughts, but we've gathered because you have been lifted up and you have drawn us here and we are family in your sight.
Bless us as we continue to strive to be kingdom of God and be an example of kingdom of God to all of those within and without these walls. We pray these things in Christ's name, but for our sakes. Amen. Our invitation hymn this morning is numbered 380. It is Let All Things Now Living. And this morning, if you would like to unite your life with this church, either by baptism, if you've never been baptized before, or by uniting with this church by statement of your prior baptism and faith, I invite you to walk forward during the singing of this hymn. I'll be standing down front to greet you. Let's stand together and sing as God's Spirit leads us. <laughs>